eager to make more informed decisions around crypto using data you can trust? Chainalysis demystifies cryptocurrency by providing industry-leading compliance, market intelligence, and investigation support for all crypto assets for organizations like Gemini, Crypto.com, and BlockFi. Maximize your potential with the leading blockchain data platform by visiting Chainalysis.com slash the scoop now. This episode is brought to you by IWC. IWC Schaffhausen is a Swiss luxury watch manufacturer based in Schaffhausen, Switzerland. Known for its unique engineering approach to watchmaking, IWC combines the best of human craftsmanship and creativity with cutting-edge technology and processes. Discover the full collection at IWC.com or download the IWC app to experience a virtual try-on now. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblockcrypto.com slash terms dash service. Hi everyone, welcome to the NFT Scoop. I'm M. Kim Noilov, your source for all things NFTs, gaming, and the metaverse here at The Block. In this episode, we're talking with Thomas Bialik from The Block Research and taking a deep dive into the history of NFTs, the trends that made them, and discuss what we're seeing in NFTs today. Yeah, so Thomas, NFTs are super interesting and they feel like they've become a cultural icon within the last year. But I know just through reporting at The Block that they've been around longer than it seems. So can you take us through the quick history of NFTs and where they originated? Yeah, sure. So if you look back, NFTs actually have quite a long history, I think longer than most current market participants may actually believe. So NFTs actually, or at least the first beginnings of NFTs actually date back to 2012, 2013 where we saw something called colored coins, which essentially was just a subset of Bitcoins that by tracking their origin, were endowed with special properties that were independent of the underlying value of Bitcoin itself. That was kind of the first inning, if you will, of kind of the first experimental version of NFTs. However, basically due to the technical characteristics or features of Bitcoin and the scripting language of Bitcoin, it was not possible to, or it it did not take off in the way we've seen NFTs on Ethereum take off over the last years. So there have been some technical issues with that, but I think that was kind of the first memorable iteration of NFTs. And shortly thereafter, in around 2014, We also saw a counterparty launch, which was essentially a peer-to-peer platform enabling the trading of digital assets, um, which was built on Bitcoin uh, as well. And for example, I think some of the listeners may be aware of Rare Pepes, which are basically the popular meme uh, kind of memes that sprung from that. And so you could for example, trade rare Pepe NFTs on Counterparty around 2016. So that's kind of the very first 
where, where kind of NFT started. And then in 2017, which or 2017 in general has been quite quite a fundamental or foundational year for NFTs as we know them today. So uh, in mid 2017, the I would say probably most popular profile picture or short PFP collection that we know today, CryptoPunks launched in that year. And so OpenSea, for example, the NFT uh, marketplace also launched at the end of 2017. And so in general, that's kind of where mainly enabled by smart contracts on Ethereum, which was kind of the main differentiating factor to the NFTs that we, for example, kind of the early versions of NFTs uh, that we had on Counterparty uh, or with colored coins kind of took off. And then in at the beginning of 2018, we also mainly because other projects popped up as well in 2017, uh, such as CryptoKitties uh, developed by Dapper Labs and mainly because of the proliferation of NFTs on Ethereum, um, the ERC721 standard was established, which basically created a universal or standardized way to create NFTs and trade them. And then we kind of had this, I don't want to say lull period, but more of a quieter building period between 2018 and 2019, probably even into early 2020, where, for example, Axie Infinity, the probably most popular play-to-earn game, uh, also tinkering with or incorporating NFTs launched and also other projects as well. So, for example, in the beginning of 2020, Decentraland, one of the foundational virtual world or metaverse projects, launched as well. And so that's kind of been the building period, I would say. And then, interestingly, in the beginning of 2021, so last year, it seemed like NFTs suddenly uh, reached their tipping point. And so in around February, January, March 2021, we saw this huge surge in trading volume of NFTs. And the main driver here, I mean, like it's always hard to pinpoint one exact driver of major trends, but one of the drivers uh, of this trend has certainly been uh, NBA Top Shot, the NBA trading card game. And yeah, so that's kind of where we saw NFTs take off completely. Um, and break through into the mainstream. And I think everything after that has been history. And uh, we also saw shortly thereafter the PFP movement, so digital avatar, avatar collections take off and even seep into the mainstream over time. So in late April, Board Ape Yacht Club, for example, launched and then kind of this kicked off this entire PFP mania throughout the summer. Of course, it's also important to mention generative art and mm -hmm. the form of mainly art blocks or the art blocks platform also had, had its moment, especially in, around July last year. And so, yeah, it's kind of, kind of been a sensational, <laughs> sensational summer for NFTs last year. And then kind of in the, I would say like the last quarter of 2021, we mainly saw, we, of course, we also saw a lot of other, other trends, but kind of slowly 
uh, or initially slowly and then quite suddenly saw NFTs becoming mainstream with a lot of celebrities such as Justin Bieber. I don't know, so many countless examples of celebrities suddenly sporting their Board Ape Yacht Club or CryptoPunk PFPs on Twitter. And yeah, just, I would say NFTs becoming a part of modern culture. So yeah, I think that's kind of the brief recap of NFT history. Yeah, thank you for the succinct history. I honestly didn't know that NFTs went back to like 2012 and 2013 and that they were built on Bitcoin. For some reason, I always thought that they were built on Ethereum. But it is super interesting to sort of see the the ramp up in the last decade and sort of the explosion in 2021, at least to me, uh, just sort of like the conversations that people were having over NFTs. Uh, you know, what are these apes and why am I seeing them everywhere on Twitter and like graffitied in Williamsburg, etc.? So yeah, you brought up an interesting point about the popularity of PFP projects. Can you tell me what a PFP project is and perhaps the other type of NFT projects that exist? Yeah, excellent question. So PFP in its most basic form are just digital avatars. So it could be it could really be anything. And I think we really saw anything uh, last year after this PFP mania was kicked off. So we saw different iterations or versions of certain animals kind of sporting different uh, clothes or like totally different versions, like a wide array of creative ways to basically develop digital avatars. And so that's kind of the, the main gist of it. And beyond that, and that's kind of also the, the reason why they became so popular was, of course, of course, First, they were rooted in the social, basically human nature. So social signaling is definitely anchored in the human psychology. So it was definitely used for social flexing, the way other people use like sports cars or uh, other uh, expensive luxury goods. But beyond that, we also saw communities forming around these these projects. So it became a way of sign signaling your belonging to a tight-knit community. And we also saw a lot of people actually bonding through these PFP projects. So it became kind of a way of displaying your modern tribe. And of course, brought along with that, like you also had a lot of perks that came with these clubs or tribes, such as access to special merge drops or... Uh, a real-life events, for example, such as ApeFest uh, taking place last year. So I think that's kind of the, probably the category of NFTs that has received the most uh, attention or at least media attention. But apart from that, I think we can, like, broadly speaking, distinguish between arts and collectibles and gaming as a, like, the two major categories. And so... As I mentioned, PFP projects probably are somewhere between arts and collectibles. But then again, as already showcased by, for example, NBA Top Shot, um, NFTs also offer a lot of room for experimentation with collectibles. So, for example, trading card games such as Parallel or just like the huge variety of sports-related trading cards uh, that we've seen uh, spring up over the last year, but of course also art uh, in general. So photography, 
has also been growing alongside all these other categories. Uh, generative art, uh, most prominently, of course, uh, enabled through art blocks. But of course, also gaming. Gaming has been a, I would even say it's probably a related, but probably also a separate category because it, it, it also caters to gamers in general, but and also uses NFTs mainly as in-game items. So the paradigm shift here is that gamers are now able to basically own and uh, ideally port or take their in-game items wherever they go. But it's mainly about ownership, and that's what kind of bring this all together. NFTs are about it. They're about digital, like conferring digital ownership. And yeah, that's what the main uh, value proposition of NFTs is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, you brought up an interesting point about the tribalism that exists in NFT projects. And I know there are multiple types of NFT projects with multiple types of parameters and how they're set up. But from what I've seen, the most popular NFT projects, and I'm talking about Board Ape Yacht Club and also CryptoPunks and others, the, the creators would create 10,000 JPEGs, uh, randomized features of them, and then drop the entire collection at once. And then once the collection was minted, that would be it. That is a finite resource. And I thought it was so interesting that there's scarcity in this community, but also once you have one of these NFTs, let's say you, you have a particularly rare ape that gives you social status and that gives you uh, sort of like elite status in this project. Um, so yeah, can you tell me more about like the prestige that you see in certain NFT projects? What about NFTs lends itself to that and how people are sort of fighting back against it? Because I've seen all the other NFT projects that are kind of eschewing that that model of scarcity. Yeah, yeah, great, great question. I'm also uh, curious about your thoughts later on kind of the backlash uh, in that regard. Mm -hmm. But also getting back to the first part of the question, I think the the main reason why PFPs became so popular, as I mentioned, is kind of this tribalism piece here. So it's probably twofold. So one is the luxury aspect. People like to signal that they are worth a lot of money or that they possess a lot of money. And so you know, it's, it's, it's the same mechanism taking place that we see with people buying a Lamborghini or buying expensive uh, watch or any any luxury good, basically. And so interestingly, we also saw PFPs becoming Veblen goods, at least like the most, what we call blue chip PFPs, the kind of divine or most expensive collections, which basically means that you have this reflexive nature of these products or goods, which is the more expensive they become, the more coveted or sought after they actually become. So it's kind of this reverse trend that we usually, or dynamic that we usually see with pricing and products and demand. And as you mentioned, like the other part or kind of it's, they're probably both intertwined, but the other part of the reason for that is the, the tribalism piece. And I think it also speaks to kind of the I mean, like whenever we see major trends taking place and just completely exploding within the stretch of a couple of months, I think they're they probably have to just strike a chord with larger trends in the market. So I think the reason why PFP projects took off was that due to the variety of different cultures or yeah community cultures 
every everyone basically had the option to pick their culture or their community members or individuals that kind of speak most to their value system. And so I, that offered a kind of safe home for people looking for like-minded people. And also considering the overall macroeconomic trend and the pandemic that took place, I think a lot of people were actually longing for, yeah, a, a community that they, that kind of corresponded or matched their own view of the world. And so I think that's kind of the, been the main driver. So people were actually longing for their own tribe and were probably happy to find them in the form of PFP projects. And yeah, as I, as I mentioned, the variety basically offers an entry for or community for everyone. Are you eager to make more informed decisions around crypto using data you can trust? Chainalysis is here to help. Chainalysis demystifies cryptocurrency by providing industry-leading compliance, market intelligence, and investigation support for all crypto assets for organizations like Gemini, Crypto.com, and BlockFi. Gain unparalleled visibility and maximize your potential with the leading blockchain data platform by visiting chainalysis.com slash the scoop now. This episode is brought to you by IWC. IWC Schaffhausen is known for continually innovating within the world of Swiss watchmaking. A pioneer in the use of titanium and ceramics, IWC today specializes in highly engineered watch cases manufactured from advanced materials such as colored ceramics, ceritanium, and titanium aluminide. This year's collection includes colored ceramic pieces in Lake Tahoe white and woodland green. Discover the new collection at IWC.com or download the IWC app to experience a virtual try-on now. You bring an interesting point about the pandemic uh, potentially accelerating the acceptance of PFP projects. Because I know a lot of people, especially late 2020, early 2021, were still stuck in their homes and couldn't really do much. And so, yeah, it just sort of uh, from what I've seen in 2021, especially in the summer, with the just like immense popularity of Board 8 Yacht Club, seeing just sort of copycat projects, just trying to entice lightning to strike them the way it strikes Yuga Labs, in which people are also making generative projects. And when I say generative, I mean... An artist creates certain elements of to pick on Yuga Labs again. Let's say I draw a monkey of this color with this facial feature. I randomize those features in an algorithm, make 10,000 of those JPEGs, turn those JPEGs into NFTs, and mint the project that way. So we were seeing a lot of people do this. And then I feel like that's where we sort of saw the backlash to, to NFTs because people were seeing these pretty much same projects uh, look sort of the same. And then many subsets were getting rich off of them. But in the later half of 2021, I think we saw more expansion of what an NFT can actually be. So in addition to, I mean, profile picture projects are still popping up, but now we're seeing more gaming endeavors. In terms of just to sort of uh, talk about other trends that we're seeing, I'm seeing people include NFTs in physical items. Uh, I reported about a game called Loot LARP, which is based off an NFT project called uh, Loot you know, it's like a it's like a live action role playing RPG sort of game. They are putting chips into swords, axes, beating each other up, and you can buy the actual uh, weapon as an NFT in addition to other things. 
also AI, uh, you know, how do we how do we go beyond just the static JPEG? Can I talk to my JPEG? Can my JPEG tell me the weather? So I think specifically in mid 2021, we saw a lot of the same things. And then ending that year, that's what sort of when we saw more imagination of what an NFT project can be. My coworker Anushri reports about fashion and NFTs and how luxury brands like Louis Vuitton, uh, Gucci are getting in NFTs as well. Louis Vuitton has an NFT-based game, a blockchain-based game, which I thought was like an interesting, <laughs> an interesting collaboration. Um, but yeah, just sort of things that I wouldn't have expected to see in the beginning of 2021 is happening now in 2022. And I think it's just yeah. sort of, again, the imagination of what an NFT project can be. So Thomas, yeah, if you want to talk about the trends that you've seen, I'd love to pick your brain about that. Yeah, like I think you're given super interesting overview uh, and I totally agree with that. And I, I'm, I'd be curious to to kind of pick your brain on the intersection of AI and NFTs that we've seen proliferate over the last month. From what I've seen and sort of the people that I've spoken to in AI and NFT, I saw a project that's trying to make AIs of historical figures. So let's say Gandhi. Uh, you could buy an NFT of Gandhi. You can talk to Gandhi in a way that an AI, in the way that someone coded the AI to have the personality of Gandhi. And then you could also make Gandhi work for you. You can make the historical figures work for you, quote unquote, depending on the features that they had and the skill set that they had when they were still living. So for example, uh, William Shakespeare, let's say I want to make William Shakespeare, my William Shakespeare NFT, write me a sonnet. Um, and I can like go sell that sonnet, which I thought was so interesting. Just like, just very creative. Like I said, creative and imaginative is sort of the theme here. And I'm sure there are other projects as well. Like uh, I reported on, I think, the Weather Channel, AccuWeather, I forget exactly what, but it was a weather-based company that was using blockchain technology and NFTs to augment how we tell the weather. And I think you could buy some digital asset and it could like, you could program weather API into it. And it could, you could say, let's say I'm in Sandbox uh, or I'm in Decentraland. I want to go to a platform that's there and I want it to tell me the weather. I could then use that NFT to do that. So yeah, just like super interesting of how NFTs can be more dynamic, how we can interact with them more versus I have the premium Twitter account and I have a hexagon rather than a circle because I'm an NFT owner. AI and NFTs is not something that I'm covering super extensively, but blockchain gaming and NFTs, and that is, I find, is super interesting as well, just sort of like how gaming can be augmented through NFTs and um, how sustainable that could be. So those are the trends that I'm seeing. And yeah, if I'm missing any, Thomas, please speak up. Yeah, no, I think you gave a great overview. And I think it's also interesting that NFTs actually bring historical figures back to life. So I definitely yeah. have to uh, look into that one. I think you already touched on a, like a super important point here, uh, the sustainability of in-game economies. Let's mm -hmm. talk about that because I think with kind of the meteoric rise of Xe Infinity in particular last taking place last year, we've also seen just this abundance of blockchain games really like popping up left and right. And I think the we have seen kind of a couple of other examples where we've seen this meteoric rise of a blockchain game and the corresponding token and only to then see them plunge or nosedive quickly thereafter. So I think I'm definitely not trying to say that this is kind of easy or like that these in-game economies 
are easy to design. So I think quite the opposite uh, case is actually uh, taking place here. But yeah, just I'm just curious, like what your thoughts are uh, with regards to kind of the main drivers being responsible for the fallout of a lot of these in-game economies. And yeah, maybe also how we can kind of create a more sustainable future for some of these upcoming or already existing blockchain games. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The sustainability is very interesting to me. I think, you know, the premium example of this is Axie Infinity, which really became popular uh, last year, like the summer of 2021. And, you know, seeing, you know, millions, millions, millions go into this game, how in the pandemic, like people in the Philippines, uh, Sky Mavis, the creator of Axie Infinity is based in Vietnam. A lot of people in the Philippines were picking it up, especially during the pandemic when many people lost their jobs. And since Axie Infinity is a play-to-earn game, uh, you buy an NFT, you can use the in-game uh, tokenomics, which is run on something called Smooth Love Potion, SLP. Like, so that's sort of the in-game currency. You play the game, you get this currency, and then you can swap that currency for real uh, money that you can spend at a Walmart, for example. I don't know. Yeah, just sort of seeing how that concept hadn't really been seen before in a crypto sense. And then the popularity in the Philippines and, and worldwide, really, and then sort of the massive decline. And Thomas, perhaps you can speak more to the decline and why that happened. But now I think it's very interesting that in the new game that Sky Mavis is releasing, Axie Origins. So the first game is called Axie Classic. This new game is called Axie Origins. Blockchain and NFTs are sort of marginalized in that in that new game. It, you don't need to buy an NFTs to get into the game. And the game hasn't been released yet, but I'm very curious how they are dealing with this in-game tokenomic system that's crypto-based because they couldn't make it sustainable in the prior game, in their more successful game. So yeah, Thomas, can you tell me more about Axie Infinity and how it sort of became the blockchain game of 2021, sort of why it declined? Yeah, so I think the main driver fueling this unprecedented rise last year has been uh, also financially driven, of course, because it definitely was a paradigm shift in the sense that players or gamers who previously had just played the game or any game for the fun of it were now able to make a living off of it or at least earn something while actually just playing the game. And so what you already mentioned, I think, is is also quite interesting here because we also saw the probably the, the strongest um, adoption of Xe Infinity in the Philippines and Venezuela. And this was also the reason for that was mainly due to the fact that in these third world countries, you also have a lot of poverty, of course, and also lack of well-paying jobs. And so a lot of these XE Infinity players jumping on the bandwagon was mainly fueled by them trying to actually get a better paying job, which definitely was the case, especially in around July when the SLP token hit its uh, all-time high, or at least was extremely high and skyrocketed. But this again then also changed after the price plummeted again in the following months. And so I think the core question that this prompts is whether a lot of these players were actually just playing the game primarily or maybe even purely due to financial incentivization. And as soon as kind of the it was not lucrative for them anymore, which probably has been the case over the last 
couple of months where SLP just hovered uh, around two cents, uh, maybe. Yeah, we just like saw kind of the economic repercussions of that. And you could argue uh, whether this kind of created this vicious cycle of um, people not earning anymore, uh, enough anymore, at least relative to their local wages, which then prompted a lot of players to leave the game, which then in turn also might have kind of accelerated the declining adoption of the game. So I think, yeah, it's 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 always hard to design these sustainable in-game economies. And I think the the main cause or reason for the declining price has been this this balanced state of uh, SLP issuance versus uh, the burning mechanism. And so I think, just broadly speaking, there has been, have been a lot of, also to give Sky Mavis credit, because they definitely have created a lot of efforts to dampen the rampant in inflation over the last months. So I think it's still an ongoing process, um, because I think they have successfully managed to, or it seems that they have successfully managed to at least lower the SLP inflation. But I think the kind of the flip side of that is how do you actually also increase burning? How I mean, like, how do you just like keep or maintain this constant equilibrium? And so I think it's it's actually like a larger trend with a lot of blockchain games where we see that they actually hire uh, in-game economists uh, responsible for designing and yeah, as I said, maintaining uh, a properly functioning in-game economy. So I think since Sky Mavis and X Infinity was such a early pioneer, I think it definitely yeah also un uncovered or revealed a lot of the corresponding difficulties coming with that. Yeah, I'm definitely interested in seeing what Sky Mavis does with Axie Origins. Regardless, it made just one of the most popular intellectual properties in the NFT space uh, with the Axie Infinity brand. Copyright and, and, and intellectual property is also a very interesting issue in the NFT space. Thomas, would you mind talking about sort of the issues that you've seen regarding that? Yeah, definitely. So I think copyright has been, for good reason, a uh, hot topic lately or recently in the NFT space because we have seen a lot of different approaches in that regard. So I think, so if you think about IP rights uh, in the NFT space in general, you could kind of visualize it as a spectrum where on one hand you have very restrictive um, IP rights. So an example would be the early version of CryptoPunks before Yuga Labs bought the collection where CryptoPunk owners were not allowed to use the IP for their individual piece of the collection in any commercial way. And on the op opposite end of the spectrum, you have CC0 projects, which essentially incentivize the like derivative projects in general, or just the, the free use of their IP. So this is definitely by design. And in the middle, I think you have popular projects or collections such as Board Ape Yacht Club, where you're not allowed to use the IP of the, like the overall Board Ape Yacht Club IP in any commercial way, but you are allowed to use the uh, IP rights of the piece of the collection that you own. So 
we also saw a lot of experimentation on that front with, uh, say, Jenkins the Valet, which is just a Bordeaux Yacht Club uh, owner who used his piece of the collection to spin off uh, his own project just by using the IP right of his individual piece. But I think CC0 has also been a huge emerging trend in the NFT space lately. So I'm curious if you uh, have any insights here or any thoughts with regards to where CC0 is headed and if this may actually be an important part of the future of NFTs. You brought up an interesting point of CC0 projects. Um, I recently wrote an article about NounsDAO, which sort of pushed back against the traditions that were seen in many NFT projects. For example, uh, NounsDAO proudly says that it doesn't have any copyright regarding its artwork. You could be an owner of a Nouns NFT. You could not be an owner of a Nouns NFT. But regardless, you can use that art for whatever derivative project, for whatever commercial use that you like. Another pushback that uh, NounsDAO is doing is that rather than dropping 10,000 NFTs and sort of creating scarcity that way, if you go to the Nouns website, it says that it will mint one noun a day forever. Uh, so that allows more people to get into the project uh, rather than if you were just lucky enough to get there at the initial mint to grab one. So I think that's super interesting. But when it comes to copyright and when it comes to what people can do with NFTs, I find that space super fascinating. And I think it's augmenting in very interesting ways. Like, you know, in addition to this sort of uh, trend towards freedom in terms of the NFT, you know, in 2017 with Larva Labs, as you mentioned, uh, it was very strict. Uh, Larva Labs uh, with uh, CryptoPunks and Dapper Labs with CryptoKitties uh, was very strict, sort of Yuga Labs sort of in the middle, you know, less strict, and then now more freedom. I think we're just trending more towards freedom and what the individual can do with their NFTs. But also we're seeing another trend of, you know, the intellectual rights of the entire project being signed on with talent agencies. Like the intellectual property is becoming a celebrity. Web3, to some degree, has celebrities that these talent agencies can can use. For example, United Talent Agency signed on CryptoPunks, I think last year, maybe last year in 2020. I, I, I don't exactly remember. And then uh, Deadfellas, the NFT project De Deadfellas was also signed on to a talent agency as well. So we're sort of seeing two two trends happening, the, the trend towards freedom of what the individual can do, and also the trend towards, you know, intellectual property being so, of the NFTs themselves being so significant that they're being partnered with other uh, media corporations. So I find that super fascinating. And I imagine, you know, in the future, like more people are going to have more creative ideas of what NFTs and their intellectual properties and their copyrights can look like. But yeah, Thomas, I feel like you and I could chat about NFTs uh, forever, but <laughs> <laughs> I think we just have to keep uh, watching the space and see where it keeps going because, you know, I feel like we're in a Cambrian explosion of just like what is happening in the NFT space and blockchain gaming space and AI space, et cetera. Definitely. I think we'll never run out of topics to talk about. Yeah, Thomas, thank you so much for chatting with me. And thank you uh, for those at home listening. Thank you, MK. Be sure to check out Thomas's work on the block research. Once again, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time on the NFT Scoop.